Riddler for Food Manufacture. And today I'm, I'm joined by John Stapleton and Paddy Willis from Mission Ventures. Uh, thank you very much for speaking with me today. Pleasure. Delighted to be here. Um, so I'll just jump straight into it. Um, so you both have a great deal of experience within the uh, fast-moving consumer goods industry. Uh, I suppose you could just give us a quick rundown of where you've come from and the journey that you've taken uh, to come here to Mission Ventures. Sure, well, uh, so this is Paddy. Um, so I am a relative newcomer, unlike John. Uh, I haven't spent all of my career in the food and drinks industry, but I did back in 2006 co-found a baby food company called Plum Baby. Um, and we had uh, a disruptive challenge brand that was really not settling for um, the status quo in the quality of food and, and, and options available to parents. Um, and we built that business, uh, took us 18 months to uh, find a manufacturer, uh, launched uh, and then very rapidly scaled. Uh, and then we sold the company to Diamond Private Equity in 2010, so within year five. Um, and the experience of that really led me to uh, a, be able to be a small investor in a few other businesses, uh, one of which was a digital company that went into a uh, digital media tech accelerator program. And that was my first real exposure to the idea that you could have these sort of cohorts of businesses learning together, sharing access to expertise, funding, etc. And I thought, well, why is nobody doing this in food and drink? Um, so that led to the genesis of the idea for what was launched as um, Grocery Accelerator. Um, and over the last five years, we have backed 17 companies, um, 15 of which are still trading. So we're bucking the trend on business failure, which is great. Uh, all still growing and building out their distribution. Um, and more recently, uh, well, I'd say recently, a couple of years ago, John um, joined the board of the company and has become very active. Uh, non-exec, and we rebranded the business um, last month to Mission Ventures, which really reflects a, a slight change in our direction towards more, more strategic venturing partnerships, which we can talk a little bit more about. But that's the background, really, was, was sort of spotting an opportunity that there were a lot of people like us who entered the food, food industry as newbies, who'd never done it before, um, and I would say probably about 85 to 90%, if not more, of the people that we meet as food startups um, are the same. They don't come from the industry, probably because if they did, they wouldn't. Uh, they realise just how hard it is. Um, so yeah, so that's really what we're trying to do, is to kind of repurpose our knowledge and experience um, towards helping those people. Right, so it's John here, and by comparison, I am the guy who's been, what, 30 plus years in the food industry, and very quickly, it all started off way back in 1987, when we set up New Covent Garden Soup Company. Um, and that was the, you know, the pioneer, basically, of fresh soup in the UK. Um, <clears throat> from a manufacturing point of view, we manufactured it ourselves, basically because we didn't have any choice. There was no fresh soup manufacturer out there. You couldn't outsource that. Liquid soup came in a can, so we changed things around to put liquid soup in a carton um, and put it in the chiller, so it became fresh soup. Rolling forward 1987 through to 1998, we then sold the business, having got to about 22 million revenue or so to a company called Daniels. And I very quickly went off to do my next venture, which was more or less the same, but in the States. It was fresh soup in a, in a carton for the US market. Now, if New Covent Garden in the, U, in the UK was a success by whatever measure you want to use, then Klenko Foods in the States, unfortunately, was a failure. It didn't work. Lots of reasons why, which we could go into, but it would take far too long. Um, Spent five years in California, really enjoyed the time out there, learned a lot. You learn a lot from failure. Um, came back to Europe. Um, I live in Munich uh, these days and actually moved to Munich 
soon after moving back from the States and then did something really weird to set up my third business, but again in London. So living in Munich, working in London, um, that was called Little Dish. Healthy, convenient, tasty meals originally, then subsequently um, snacks for kids, for young children, toddlers basically. Um, and we sold that business in 2017. And I was spending a lot of my time, as you can, might imagine, flying back and forth between Munich and London, and that got to be more or less unsustainable after five, six years, so I wanted to pull back from that. And so before we sold the business, about 2015, I became more involved in um, helping small businesses to grow and became involved in investing in businesses or advising businesses or mentoring entrepreneurs um, and met Paddy around about 2016, 17 and realized that this was a more formal way of doing what I was doing myself anyway for, for a few years and got more involved. And as Paddy mentioned, 2017, 18, I invested in the business and we've taken it forward to where it is now and uh, really pleased, really excited to be on the cusp of uh, some breakthroughs in 2020 under the guise of Mission Ventures. Uh, who else is on your team as well that is helping along um, Mission Ventures? So we've um, been lucky enough to be joined by Nigel Parrott um, back in uh, spring of 2019. Um, so Nigel is someone that John knows very well um, from his soup days. Um, but uh, we've been talking with Nigel for a while now about how he could join the team and bring his expertise and experience both in larger business, but also in, uh, as co-founder of Ape Snacks, um, which he successfully executed at the back end of 2018. Yes, yeah, so I, I know Nigel from years ago. Um, we never actually, we, we were involved in New Covent Garden Soup Company, but at different stages. So, so um, Andrew Palmer was my business partner way back in 1987. So Andrew and myself set that business up in 87 and grew it and sold it to Daniels in 1998. I went and did the States project, like I mentioned, and I then came back from the States and Daniels had taken the brand and developed and had grown itself and Nigel was working at, at Daniels and that, Nigel was basically the commercial stroke marketing director. An interesting combination of, of a marketing person you can count, um, <laughs> which I always say, but, but it's very, very true. He's, he's got, a, got a, an accountancy background and a, and a marketing experience and, and the combination is really, really strong. Um, and uh, we just kept in contact ever since and uh, followed his career and he's been watching what I've been doing. and came back around to, 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 to joining up with Paddy and I thought, you know, this is, this is a skill set that we could really use in terms of what we want to do next. Uh, and Nigel thought the same and came and joined us. So uh, that's how all that came about. So on the topic of mission ventures, could you just give us a rundown on the mission statement of mission ventures, uh, what it is you're trying to achieve and what you have achieved so far as mission ventures? Well, so I guess the way to answer that is to say the direction of travel we're going in now is really a distillation of our experience over the last five years of running accelerator programs for startup food and drinks companies and realizing that um, there's this sort of dichotomy because you've got small um, brands uh, with um, entrepreneurial founders who aspire eventually they'll always tell us when they show us a business plan oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna exit in five years time to one of the big names in the food industry um, but they have no contact with that, those entities. They don't know how they operate. They have no idea what their M&A strategies are and, and how to operate those. And at the same time, you've got um, the boards of those large companies um, looking at uh, all these young challenger brands snapping at their heels, often taking market share in growth categories. So you've got situations where, um, you know, in my old category of baby food, for example, um, Ella's Kitchen is now the largest baby food brand in, in the UK, overtaken Heinz. 
Uh, and when we sold in 2010, um, and, the business, and their business was still being run by Paul Lindley, it was doing really well, and it was catching us up, but it was still smaller than, than, than Plum Baby. Now they're the biggest brand in, in the UK. So it just goes to show that within the space of you know, less than 15 years, a brand can come from nowhere and take the crown. And that's getting uh, the owners of large companies nervous because they're having to focus on maintaining the growth, um, often sort of single-digit growth that they're achieving with their core business. And they don't have the language or the skills or the experience really to engage properly with young businesses. So what we reckon is that we, we're old enough and ugly enough to be able to sort of act as an intermediary there where we sit between um, the boards of the large corporates uh, and the founders. And because we've been there and done it ourselves, we have credibility with the founders of those companies because um, you know, they're coming and asking us, you know, come and buy you a coffee and ask you how you built your businesses. Um, and so we have access also to really interesting innovation that's coming out you know, before, before it's on anybody's radar. They're already coming to talk to us about how do I get my company launched. So we feel there's a, there's a brokerage role for us in, in, in this space. So that's really how we, we, we see the, op the opportunity is for us to provide a partnership for larger corporates where we can offer a plug-and-play support initiative where we can go away and incubate these brands over several years um, uh, to a point where they're ready to scale and, and exit into, um, in, into that trade exit. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and one of the things we say is that we, we uh, our objective is to change the face of the food industry one challenge of brand at a time, and, and, and really that is the focus. It's, it's from the bottom up. Um, another thing we say is... Um, by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. So we've done it before, we've done it ourselves. We've all got the, the scars to prove it. Um, Paddy, myself, and, and um, our other co-founder, Nigel. So um, we know what it's like to be an entrepreneur. I guess once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur, but we know what it's like to be there and, and, and try to grow a business against all the odds at times. Um, and therefore it's, it's relatively straightforward to relate to entrepreneurs who are going through that same journey. Um, and we can find ways to, to not just add value from a technical point of view or add value from you know, a theoretical point of view. And we all also can point out all the, not all, but a lot of the pitfalls. There will always be mistakes you can make no matter how many times you've done it before. I, I can certainly testify to that. Uh, but hopefully we can reduce the risk of, of failures or re reduce the risk of mistakes. And hopefully the mistakes that people make won't be terminal. Uh, so I just talked about where you are at the moment and what you're up to. Could you talk about any projects that you have on the go or anything that you're working towards in the future? Certainly, yes. We're very excited to be working with Guy's and St Thomas's Hospital Charity and Big Society Capital on a programme that they've initiated as part of a wider brief to try and uh, tackle uh, childhood obesity. Um, so they're looking at market-led solutions and, and in particular looking at how healthier challenger brands can play a part in um, helping to provide better options on the shelves for um, families from all walks of life. So we're, we're, we will shortly be announcing um, a programme of support that will involve um, funding from uh, our funders and also the provision of support from our team and our associates. So that's, uh, I, can't, I can't, can't say much more about that just at the moment because it will be announced um, to the media hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, so that's our first a uh, significant project, if you like, which, which fits under the banner of Mission Ventures. Um, and again, very much as, as, as John was saying, you know, it's, it's all to our uh, core objective of, of helping to change and transform the industry one challenge around at a time. 
And then the other one, which we hope to be able to announce by the end of the month, um, is uh, our first corporate venturing partnership, where we will be working with, uh, in partnership, in a JV with one of the UK's largest food companies to help uh, to uh, invest in and to scale uh, a selection portfolio of interesting young challenger brands so it could ultimately eventually scale into um, into their corporate portfolio. So you can see why we're so excited about this, you know, two big projects coming along at the same time, really setting us up in terms of mission ventures for, for 2020. I mean, the whole childhood obesity um, theme is such a large mm. topic with so many, it's, it's very, you know, <clears throat> multifaceted in terms of the reasons why childhood obesity exists to the extent it does. I mean, obviously that's the case, otherwise it wouldn't be such a big problem. Um, and what we're trying to do is bridge the gap between theory and practice. There's a lot of research that's gone on the last 20 years, particularly the last five, six years, on understanding these levers and what causes these poor choices to be made. Um, often they're not out of choice. Um, so we are looking at ways to find practical solutions through small, young, growing brands to bring healthy, nutritious products to, to the market, particularly for, for young children, and particularly in the grab-and-go section, so snacks. Mm. Um, whereby um, we can provide these sort of products, make them available to where children buy them or where they're bought for children at a price that's affordable. So there are a lot of different levels involved here and we're really excited and proud to be part of, of this project where we can hopefully make a difference and, and uh, the outcome of this project that we're running will hopefully lay the ground for some further work in the coming years that we'll be able to rely upon. And, and the, the Corporate Venture Project is, is equally exciting because it's the, one, it's the first, if you like, in a series of joint ventures and a series of projects we intend, we intend to get involved with um, over the next number of years. And uh, so the first one is always the most exciting one. So really looking forward to that too. How did you come to uh, start working on these projects? Uh, what led to their creation? Well, I guess in the case of the childhood obesity one, um, that came about through my attending a uh, launch event um, from the authors of um, Healthier Returns, which was funded by Guys and Tommies and, and Big Society Capital, uh, which was really looking at this whole concept of could, could healthier challenger brands play a part uh, and what would it take for them to succeed, in particular in helping lower income families to, uh, to engage. Um, so that came about when uh, we, that was in 2018, the end of 2018, when they published the report. And then we spent some time last year working on a feasibility study uh, with the funders to explore what could this look like as a, pro as a project. Uh, and now we're just about to launch the pilot, uh, which will give us the scope to work with a, a dozen or so brands um, over the next 12 months. And then the, uh, the owners of the programme, the, the funders will look at this um, probably in 18 months' time, and say, right, have we been able to shift the dial? Has this been working? And um, if so, uh, then they'll be looking at putting more funds towards, uh, towards the programme uh, and hopefully pulling in more philanthropic and commercial investors to provide a bigger pool of equity and debt that can be deployed um, with those healthier challenger brands. So that's on the, on the childhood obesity side. On, on the case of our first corporate venturing one, that's come about really as a result of introductions um, from people who support uh, their larger clients with M&A activity, um, and we were explaining our objective. And it's probably just, I mean, I, I always use this analogy, which um, people always laugh at, but it does seem to work. Um, so if you consider that, uh, and it's to do with Victorian parenting. So for example, 
in the times of the uh, times of the lovely Queen Victoria, um, most parents weren't really that interested in their children. Um, they would tolerate them, and it was the, you know the age-old um, children should be seen but not heard. So they would um, really only want to engage with the kids once they were um, smart enough and, and uh, erudite enough to be able to sit at the dining room table and hold polite conversation with the dinner guests. So that really meant that they you know they they graduated from Oxford or Cambridge. So in the meantime, however, of course, they would pay to educate their children. So they would pay for nannies and tutors and governesses and to send off to boarding school. So if, if the corporate is the uh, Victorian parent um, who has a, a scarce understanding of their children, um, we are those other intermediaries who help take their children on that journey, occasionally show them to parents at bedtime, um, uh, and uh, make sure that always that they're um, properly fed and dressed and, and uh, entertained. And we take those on a journey over several years, and then hopefully they will be uh, graduates um, who will uh, either participate at that dinner party, or if um, the fit is no longer quite right for that corporate in terms of the product or the brand, uh, then of course they could always be exited somewhere else, which might involve them going off to the colonies, uh, if I can torture that analogy. Um, so that's really the kind of the concept behind, uh, behind this, and it is trying to provide this, as I said before, this kind of brokerage between the two communities, because it is a bit like boys and girls at the teenage dance and standing on separate sides of the dance hall and nobody's in the middle. Um, and if we can provide that bridge, um, then that's really what we're trying to achieve. And in doing that, that helps the brand to scale faster. Uh, it helps to reduce the losses for investors uh, and it provides uh, deal flow opportunity for the larger companies. And I love that. I love that Victorian analogy. I think, I think yeah, every time I hear it, I, I, I smile again, but um, it's not by accident that we've, that we've arrived at this place. You know, we've been working on this for quite some time over the last few years, Paddy certainly, and since I joined and, and Nigel more recently. And, you know, there are a number of elements involved in, in providing this, being this fulcrum, providing this value added. And, and so number one is the personnel, you know, like what I said before, by entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs. That really does count for a lot. A lot of accelerators and incubators out there that, you know, can't claim that because they've got some very smart people, but people who have not set up their own business themselves. That's number one. Number two is the investment structure. As, as Paddy alluded to, it's a joint venture arrangement. So we actually are the investor, the shareholder, the, the director. So... Um, when it's necessary at times to hold an entrepreneur's feet to the fire, and I speak as an entrepreneur, because it is necessary at times to do that, then we can do that. Um, um, and then it's the value added that we bring. You know? So it's all well and good to say, you know, I've got 30 years of, of, of relevant experience here. I do, but it needs to be distilled down into bite-sized chunks. And that's something we've developed very recently, and, and, and Nigel has helped us with that, to create what we call this mission map. And the mission map is all about taking the brands through an intensive 12, 14 week program um, to get them to a point where they're up to speed with all the elements of setting up and growing and developing a business and scaling a business that they need to. And it doesn't end there, we then keep very much, as Paddy alluded to, uh, you know, keep holding their hands right the way through as they, as they grow on their journey, all the way to exit. So um, we've been perfecting this for quite some time. So now we're ready to, to implement it in our first CBA. We're really excited about that. Now, obviously, you've been around the block, so to say, is that you have a wealth of experience in the field of being entrepreneurs and within food and drink, but also other companies as well. So I would like to ask, when you look at a business, uh, what is it that you can point out that makes a good or a bad food business on a sort of, in general, what can you point out straight away you're doing the right thing or you're doing the bad thing? I mean, you know, the list is endless, <laughs> and there's so many things you can get wrong. 
and I sometimes you can get half right and it's still not right enough. So, you know, the list really is endless and, and I reckon I probably made all those mistakes myself at various stages through those three businesses. Um, so I'm speaking from experience. But, you know, if you have to twist my arm and say, what is the one thing that is you know, the, the kind of fatal if, if you don't get it right? Um, it, it, it is not really understanding your consumer. It, it's not having defined your consumer. This is not just the case for food and drink, many consumer brands, fashion, you know, etc. You can think about this, but food and drink is, is so unforgiving because it's so competitive out there. There are so many categories in the last five, six, 10 years that have absolutely exploded with new, new brands, new products, new offerings, uh, new ways to get, to get to the consumer, like not necessarily going through the retail trade anymore, like direct to consumer mm -hmm. online. Um, you know, so the, the, the whole industry has really evolved and maybe even been revolutionized. But what remains the same every single time, no matter what way you look at this, is who is your target audience? Why is your product going to make a difference to them? And really understanding, really understanding what your value proposition is to that particular target audience. If you say, and I hear it a lot, uh, yeah, everybody can buy this product, I can sell it to everybody. If you're trying to sell it to everybody, you're going to end up selling to nobody. Um, you've got to be very specific about your messaging and communicate in a very clear way what it is your product does for that particular person or that particular group of people. And that's where your brand comes in. Um, so we meet entrepreneurs all the time who, who, who and, and through no fault of their own, you know, have not really figured out what the value proposition is. But of course we can help with that. We, we can turn that around. Some things are, are uh, you know, some things can be changed. Some things can, are, are quite malleable. Um, but if the product proposition is wrong, then there's little point in generating awareness, little point in spending lots of money, little point in doing all this marketing. To, you know, generate awareness for something that actually people don't want or people could do without or at the price you have to charge people definitely won't pay for it so it's really understanding the target audience and making sure you know what makes them tick and giving them what they need over and over again and i think the other element to add to that particularly from an investor's perspective is that you've got to have a founder i mean the, the product as john was saying you can tweak the brand you can tweak the proposition you can tweak the packaging, the price point, everything. But actually, if you haven't got a founder who is capable of um, riding the, let's face it, the roller coaster of the entrepreneurial journey, um, and who's also prepared to listen and be coachable, which is particularly important in our case, because we have this you know, strong relationship all the way through to their exit, so that can take a number of years. If they're not willing to, to, to listen and engage, and, um, uh, you know, and let's face it, we, we carry on learning the whole time. Every day we're learning something new from all the people we work with. But if, if they're not willing to listen, um, it becomes really hard because then they are fixed on this idea that no, I, I know I, I'm right. Um, sometimes they're right, sometimes they just need a little bit of a nudge in, uh, in, in a direction. And as John was saying, you know, hold their feet to the fire if, if they're being distracted and, and going off down the wrong pathway. So that's a really important feature, I think. And if you talk to any investors, they'll always say, you know, the three things most important in investing in a, in a business is team, team, team. And by the way, that wouldn't, I know Paddy doesn't mean this, but it doesn't mean to say we have all the answers and we, we, we therefore, you know, give all the direction and the entrepreneur just runs along and implements. That's definitely not the case. It's an entrepreneur's business and they need to, they need to come with problems as well, solutions as well as problems. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what I really like is pushback from entrepreneurs to say, um, well, yeah, I'm not sure that we want to do it that way. And I'm all ears because I'm, as you say, yeah. I'm, I'm learning too. And I'm thinking, okay, so what then? And they come up with a very sensible, justifiable plan, which I think, right, well, we do some of that. Um, that's pushback in a constructive way. Pushback saying, no, nah, we don't want to do that without really any justification or an alternative, but that's not much use. 
So, so um, it's definitely a two-way street. And you know, we've been here, we've done a lot of it ourselves, but there's always new ideas and always new ways to do things. Um, and it's getting that right mix. It's getting that mix right, I think, um, at least generates the ingredients for success. There's never any guarantee, but I think you definitely increase the, the chances of success and reduce the risk of failure. Now, uh, in this year, uh, 2020, uh, there's been uh, no, uh, any lack of challenges, um, disaster level events um, that have happened, not only in just the UK, but around the world. Uh, so with that in mind, what do you think are the biggest challenges that are facing food and drink manufacturers or food and drink firms in general that are either already existing or as they're coming through you, uh, trying to just get that first step on the ladder? Well, I think there's no doubt that the, the word of 2020 and for a long time in the last few years because of Brexit, the word is uncertainty. And it's really hard to plan uh, when you don't really know what the implications are. I mean, you know, we, we're struggling still to work out, you know, should we, should we even all be in the room together? You know, it, it's, uh, it, and you then extend that out to um, the, the supply chain that you rely on. And bear in mind, these are businesses that, you know, they can't afford uh, to, generally speaking, to, to buy forward on foreign exchange, to you know, lock in a, a price point for acquisitions of supplies they may be making in, in, uh, in foreign currency. Um, they can't afford to stockpile huge amounts of materials to, for, for production. So they just have to get on with it. And, and that's really where the, the real test of their resilience comes in is, is you know, most of the time they just have to keep going and, and, and ride that wave. And it is going to be incredibly difficult because you know, you've seen it more recently with the madness that's been taking place in the shopping aisles where people are stockpiling loo roll and God knows what else. Um, and, and it's just it's the irrational behaviour of, of, of humans um, that is, is so difficult to account for. And when you're a small player in, that, in this market, and then you think about all the people who are relying on, on events, so trade events, um, you know, who's to say whether or not the Food and Drink Expo is going to go ahead at the end of this, this, this quarter, at the end of this month. You know, we already know that um, big events are being cancelled uh, left, right and centre. So if that's putting a, a spanner in the works of your planning for your sales strategy, um, you know, when, how long will it be before supermarkets start to say, we're no longer taking meetings? So you can't get in front of the buyer anyway, um, even if they did respond to your email or your phone call. So all these things are conspiring against um, all businesses, but the ones that have the least ability uh, in terms of buffer are, are the small, small guys. So all we can do in that case is to um, you know, provide uh, moral support, provide practical guidance where we can, but it is going to be an incredibly hard time for, for everybody. Um, and I think that's, you know, we obviously hope that at a, a macro level that the government and, and uh, others will, will do their part in trying to smooth that. But there's no doubt that I think we're going to see a lot of fallout uh, on the back of this. And Penny's absolutely right when he mentions uncertainty, because that, 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 that is a big problem in terms of trying to plan for uncertainty. And the, the piece really that comes out of it, spins out of the uncertainty universe is, is the slowing down of momentum. Because uh, we all live in this kind of ecosystem. We happen to live in a food and drink ecosystem, but all industries and industries um, inter, interrelate with each other too. Um, and this ecosystem <clears throat> requires momentum to keep, to keep it moving. And once you get into a negative momentum, or it all begins to slow down because of, you know, the end consumer is what we're all trying to, trying to focus on here. And if we can't get products from whether it's China, 
in terms of packaging or ingredients to Europe to manufacture products to get to the shelves, then it all begins to slow down. And it's very difficult, even if we catch it quickly, to ramp it back up again. And if it gets to a point where they're, they're empty shelves, then you know, that has knock-on effects from a consumer point of view. So you know, I'm not sure how long it's going to take. Hopefully we can look at, 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 at Italy right now as you know, it's coming over the crest of a wave, hopefully for them, and, and it won't get as bad as it has become in Italy and for the rest of Europe, but we can learn a lot from that and prepare and, and not overreact so that we can maintain a bit of momentum so it's not that difficult to get out of that trough again. But the flip side, of course, is in terms of uncertainty brings opportunity. And, and, and this is where us entrepreneurs, if you like, have a great benefit, very agile. Yes, we have less room to play with and the bigger guys have more room to play with so I can weather a storm, but we're very agile. And, and you know, through the annals of time, we've seen whenever there's been uncertainty, opportunity crops up and a whole bunch of entrepreneurs take advantage of that opportunity and set up new businesses and set up new ways of doing business. Um, and that's the essence of being an entrepreneur. So, you know, uh, I would say let's, let's hope we can weather the storm and let's see what comes out at the other end. And, and it really, in terms of getting through this, which seems like a number of hopefully weeks and months crisis to get out through the summer and then come for another interesting time at the end of the year with pre preparation for Brexit, whether it be a no deal or otherwise, it's, you know, small businesses and large businesses alike really just need to prepare for that and do some scenario plans and, and, and make sure that you know, you've thought of as many options as possible. Don't run out and raise, run out and raise money to implement them yet because we don't know how, what it's going to look like, but put some scenario plans in place to get ready for what we think the most likely outcomes would be or the, the major risks or where we're most exposed as a business, whether it be cross-border um, trade or whatever it might be, uh, tariffs, you know, you, 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 you can think of many more. Um, but I think we have some time, having you know had that false dawn already last year in terms of Brexit is happening. Mm. We now have this you know preparation time yet again of of ten nine months to get ready for it really happening, um, and, uh, and taking advantage of the agility that we have in small businesses. And is there a point uh, within your careers that you've uh, particularly had a challenge, be it with uh, somebody that's approached you, somebody that you've worked with? Uh, or is maybe not challenge, but a key point that you can think of that really stuck out, something that you've learned from uh, in the past that still applies to you in the future. I guess one of the examples that immediately springs to mind is, is a couple of years ago we were um, working with a, a young brand, two young guys who built a cold brew coffee company um, and they were doing it in single serve um, uh, bottles. Um, but looking at the market, looking at the fact that it was still taking a while for the other brands um, that were just entering the market to really get any traction, um, and we looked at the fact that there were uh, there was no, really no offer in the coffee shop market, in the, if you like, from a wholesale perspective. So we looked at the numbers with them and actually said, look, actually, you've got a much better opportunity here to make the same high-quality product, but to put it in a bag-in-box um, offer, which you can then sell uh, to offices and to um, cafes where people expect to have a coffee product. Most people don't go into a you know, look at the chiller cabinet and supermarket chain and think, oh, I really fancy a, a cold brew coffee because it's still quite a new, mm. a, a new uh, evolution, if you like, in the market. Or it's been in gang, gangbusters in the states. So, um, so that was a good example, I suppose, of, of people who came with a fixed idea about they thought there was only one way they could do this. But then when you stripped the business back and looked at the economies, looked at the opportunity and looked at where their consumers were going to be shopping, um, uh, and that's now led into a, a very successful uh, brand that we're, we're proud to work with called Solo, um, and they do an amazing product 
um, which they uh, are selling in, in Bang & Box, and, and are looking now at the potential for other solutions on a direct-to-consumer basis. Uh, thank you very much, John. Thank you very much, Paddy. Uh, this has been James Rizzo for Food Manufacturer at Petition Ventures.